Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, Carol Zerniel on special assignment today, covering the Aging Conference in San Francisco. That was a tough assignment, but she agreed to do it anyhow, and Peaches Hall is here in her place. We are also thrilled to welcome uh, Joseph Coughlin on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline, author of The Longevity Economy. Uh, he serves as the founder and director of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT Age Lab. They run a research program designed to understand the behavior of the 50-plus population, the role of technology and design in their lives, opportunity for innovation uh, to improve the quality of life, on and on and on. And that's pretty cool. Dr. Coughlin, you have carved out a really neat niche for yourself. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here. Man, if you can figure out what's up with the 50-plus population, you've come a long way. How's that working out? Well, you know, I, I, this isn't just a matter of research. It's a matter of personal social security, so to speak. So I'm, I'm, I'm eager to figure it out myself. You know, if you think about it, it's the only part of the population that regardless of who you are, we all aspire to being part of because, frankly, the alternative is not nearly as pretty. Exactly right. And as we look at how society is aging today with more people 65-plus than 18 and under, that 50-plus population is surging. No, absolutely. We're looking at, I mean, let's even just think globally for a moment. Do you know that by 2047, as I write in my book, The Longevity Economy, there will be more people over age 60 in the world than there will be children, 0 to 15. If demography is destiny, the, de- the future is definitely a little grayer than we've seen it today. And what does that mean for our daily lives? Well, I think what it does is it starts to really question all those things we've taken for granted. As we have expanded, uh, extended life expectancy 20, 30, 40 years beyond 1900, I think as many of you may know, you know, life expectancy in 1900 was 47 years old. Gives you a whole new spin on what we think of the midlife crisis is. But today, we're looking at some actuarial tables are saying late 70s, but the fact of the matter is, and as much as it pains me as a Red Sox fan to quote a Yankee, as Yogi Berra said, you can see a lot by looking. The fastest growing part of the population is 85 plus. So we're now looking at 30 to 40 years of decades of living uh, longer than ever before. That changes work. It changes marriage, where we live, what we do. This is a great achievement and an even greater opportunity. And the fact that we're outliving our funds and our investments. Yeah, one of the challenges we have, and it indeed is a challenge, is that our lifespans are outpacing our wealth spans. So one of the things we're seeing out there in the research, whether it's here at the Age Lab or in my book, is that people are starting to become creative. They're retiring, but they're retiring to find a new gig, or they're transitioning to a different job, and they're trying to extend that wealth span to make sure that it lasts into their 70s, 80s, and beyond. And I think they're more comfortable working, and my husband just retired for his third time. <laughs> well, you know, it's really funny. Now, I guess this is an old phrase that's been around a while, but it was really new to my ears for some reason. But I was interviewing a number of, uh, of retiree couples 
And uh, one woman after another kept on using the phrase, I married him for life. I did not marry him for lunch. <laughs> and so a lot of guys go out there to get a job, frankly, because, frankly, their, their wives are saying, I don't know who this man is on my couch, but uh, I've got a routine, and he's interrupting it. Exactly. What are some of the design aspects that affect our lives as we age? And how is that adapting itself to an aging population? Well, one of the things I describe in, the, in, in my book uh, that we, we did here at the MIT Age Lab is we designed AGNES, the Age Gain Now Empathy System. And it's a suit that, uh, shall we say, mimics certain limitations and certain uh, issues associated typically with older age with at least one or two chronic conditions like diabetes, arthritis, and the like. And you start to better understand using the goggles and the belts and the weights that all of a sudden contrast sensitivity becomes a much greater issue, not in your 50s, 60s, and 70s, but frankly in your 30s and 40s. When you say contrast sensitivity, what do you mean? Well, for instance, uh, the, the people who that design websites, they think they look super cool with white letters on a black background. Can't read very them. difficult, very difficult to see. Pill bottles and cooking recipes that are a very small font or in a very fancy font that are difficult to see. Or hard to uh, open. Or hard to open. Well, that's the other thing, too, is that, you know, it's, it's imperative that we make things childproof. But the way that things have been made childproof, we've also made them patient-proof as well. Mm. Or, frankly, we helped redesign some of the ideas around the, the, the next generation of pharmacies and, and the grocery stores. Why is it that the things that older people buy or that caregivers buy always on the very top shelf or the very bottom? Both are hard to reach and hard to lift. Hmm. And the answer to that is nobody thought nobody. about it. No one thought about it, and frankly, the older adults, and this is a real theme both in my research and, and in writing, unfortunately, old age has always been marginalized. Older people were shelved. They were put aside. And we now need to take, frankly, the fastest growing part of the population and turn it into what it is, an amazing achievement and an amazing resource. Now, if you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Sitting in for Carol Zernil is Peaches Hall, and we're talking with Joseph Coughlin, author of The Longevity Economy. He's the director of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology's Age Lab, which I gather is just what it says, Age Lab. Yep. We, we study people across the lifespan with a focus on, and painfully for me, we define aging as 45 and older, which sounded good when I was under 45, and now that I'm ah. a good 10 years past it, uh, it feels a little bit uh, tight. But if one of the reasons why we look at the entire lifespan, but particularly the 45-plus, and those of you that are caregivers can appreciate this, at, by 45, most of us are now calling our parents not just to say hi, but we're thanking God they answered the phone. We've had a checkup where the doctor now says, gee, Joe, you know, a lifetime of scrapple and cheesesteaks growing up in Philadelphia may not exactly be something you want to continue doing in your 50s. So you've already got your, shall we say, your first warning. But the other part is that we hear at the age line, we want to develop new ideas and new technologies that excite and delight that you want them in your home, even in your youth, but they provide care and convenience and connectivity in older age. Because one of the things we found, very few people want to buy something that says old man walking. What's interesting, you can't get a good cheesesteak other than in Philadelphia. Why is that? <laughs> because everybody wants to think that cheese comes from a cow, and we in Philadelphia know cheese comes from a bottle. <laughs> so tell me in your lab, how do you research the fitness exercise? 
So we look at a variety of areas. We look at transportation. We look at fitness and exercise, not just as a matter of staying uh, healthy. We're more interested in how fitness and exercise keep you socially connected. So we work with companies like Silver Sneakers and Tivity Health, AARP and others to understand, yeah, exercise is good. Group exercise is even better. But, you know, the benefits are not just cardiovascular. Getting out. Having social connections is as important to you as keeping your blood pressure down and your cholesterol down. We have a program, um, it's called the Advantage Program through United Health, and so we have people that come to the center. I run a senior center, and we do a program called Walkers on the Go, so we get out twice a week and we find a park as a group to walk in, and then we start training for 5Ks, and some of them are still doing marathons. But it's amazing, the socialization, and then everybody leaves after the, the 5K, and they have lunch together and, and sit and talk, and it's just, I mean, it's great. What, what is it? I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Joe. Well, what is it about the socialization? You know, one of the things that we, we don't plan on, when we, we get older, we, we try to plan on, can we remain mobile, can we remain in our homes? Can we do self-care and provide care to others? But as one woman told me in interviews a number of years ago, and, and, and it felt good even a number of years ago, this 80-some-year-old lady said to me, son, and it felt good to be called son again, but son, at my age, there's a natural attrition to friendship. And one of the things that we forget is that our friends either become ill, they move away, or worse, and that as we age, we've got to actually not retire but work harder to ensure that we have those chance collisions and that put us into environments where we make new friends, new contacts. And I don't mean the friends that we count online. I'm talking about the friends that we can count on, those that will take you to the doctor if you need it, come over for lunch just for the heck of it, friends that will be there when you have a problem that you need to take care of. So that social connectivity is as much, if not more, a predictor of healthy aging and aging well than how much you've got in the bank and how your blood pressure is. And a lot of that argues against growing up and remaining in your home where you often are isolated. Well, you know, one of the things that's interesting is is a little bit uh, of two sides of a coin there, is that aging in place could have its benefits if you maintain connections in the community. You know, part of the problem is is that we baby boomers stopped joining organizations. We, we, as the uh, book said years ago, bowl alone. We don't join groups, uh, bowling leagues. We like to bowl, but we like to bowl by ourselves. We don't join Rotary. We drop out of PTA as soon as the kids are no longer in school. So you can age in place as long as you stay engaged. On the other hand, there are people that choose to move, say, to vacation spots, Arizona, Florida, you know, wherever it might be, because they like the beach. But they get there, they know no one. They have no connection. There's no glue. And that's as isolating as if they had stayed on their couch at home and never opened the door or turned on the TV. And that's why an active senior center is so important. It's an ever-ending pipeline of friends that are joining all the time. And the volunteer part of it is so crucial. They love the volunteer. And that's something they either did all their life or they're just learning to do. That's right. The volunteer force and the nation's care force are people over age 50. And so senior centers are an amazing resource, volunteering with organizations that have multi-generations that are volunteering, and also the number of people that I've interviewed over the years that are simply joining the gig economy as drivers or as repair people and the like. You know, the sharing economy as we know it, the Ubers, the Lyfts, the TaskRabbits, all those companies, it's not for kids anymore. We're finding that, for instance, 25% of Airbnbs 
uh, hosts are actually people over 50, and they get the highest ratings. And they do it not just for the money, but they do it for the meaning and the social connectivity. Stay with me just a minute. We'll be right back to you. I'm Ron Aaron. We're talking about uh, not only design and tech and where our lives are going, but the longevity economy by Joseph Coughlin is part of what we are looking at today, and we'll talk more about that as well. Peaches Hall filling in for Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. It is so nice of you to stick with us right here on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, who is filling in for Carol Zerniel today, having the neatest conversation with Joseph Coughlin, author of The Longevity Economy. He is the founder and director of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT Age Lab. And, uh, uh, Joe, one of the things you talk about uh, is the role of technology in the lives of people uh, 50 plus. And you're talking about more than smartphones, I assume. Oh, no, absolutely. And of course, you know, here at MIT, we're proud of saying that technology is the answer. Now, what's your question, so to speak? Uh, no, technology is definitely going to make retirement and aging and indeed caregiving far different than ever before. Uh, the technology will be very cool, and in some cases, it may feel very creepy as well. So I want you to imagine your kitchen is going to have devices that are part of what we call the Internet of Things. That is, when things begin to think and begin to talk. So your refrigerator will be able to tell what's in your refrigerator, how old it is, and maybe facilitate home delivery of the food you needed beforehand. A stove that's been left on too long, automatically shutting down ensuring that you ate the right things at the right time or taking your meds. Your bathroom may facilitate a whole checkup a day rather than having to do one on a computer screen or going to the doctor's office. Suddenly now, as we're doing research here in the lab and elsewhere, the house is a platform for caregiving, connectivity, and frankly, staying connected uh, with society. Staying connected how? Well, think about it. Your refrigerator is going to connect you to the grocery store, staying connected in terms of that, uh, as I said, between cool and creepy. Your toilet, your smart toilet, will actually, shall we say, to uh, keep this uh, uh, clean, download from the user your body weight, did you take your medication, and then facilitate taking those data and sending it to your doctor's office, to a dietitian, whatever it might be. But there are more fun things that we've worked on as well. Imagine tele-exercise while you're at home, but you've created a whole group of social friends that are exercising with you from anywhere from Taiwan to Massachusetts and doing exercises that help you stay fit to drive or just simply fit. That's the TV commercial for Peloton, the bike that connects you via 
uh, I guess, Wi-Fi to people who are riding bikes around the world. Yeah, there's, you know, for biking, they certainly do that, but they're also looking at more, shall we say, more crafted exercises for older adults in particular. In fact, even Alexa these days, you know, the whole new home artificial intelligence system that uh, Amazon has developed has an exercise program for seven minutes, and if you look at many of the comments, you'll find that older adults are using that exercise program as much as the young kids that you would think would uh, it would be made for. How does that work? Does it tell you what to do? Yeah, it essentially puts you through your paces of drills of everything from stretching to exercise, jumping jacks, and and the like. And you know, some of the comments that I've seen are that you know, I wish there was something a little bit more senior friendly and the like. And the fact of the matter is, is that technologies are now connecting you to activities that you at once thought you had to go to the gym, which a lot of people do, but even more do not. I wonder if you see what I see in the center, and most of the people that come in here say, "I don't want to do if it's if it's not fun." Absolutely. You know, I, I love the research, uh, that well-meaning research that's out there on how to get people to change their behavior. We think about, do we pay them? Do we save money on their insurance? Do we just educate them? Well, I, you can see that, frankly, we do a lot of different things, largely because friends are involved, it's fashionable to do it, and there's fun friends to be there. So fun friends and fashion get people at all ages to do amazing things where rational money and it's good for you have been, shall we say, poor excuses to get you to do what you don't want to do. Okay, so now I want to know what are the advantages, what are the things that are the opportunities that are out there for seniors you were talking about? Well, some of the opportunities we have to think about is that business in particular needs to start creating an entirely new narrative. If the book, my book, The Longevity Economy, makes any contribution at all, what I'm hoping that people will hear is that the old narrative of old age, that it's a time to retire, a time to pull back, that mom and dad don't like new technology, needs to be retired, and frankly, in most cases, was never true to begin with. In fact, the story of old age and retirement as we live it today is only about 100 or 125 years old. The new opportunities are for business, government, and families to start rethinking one-third of your adult life, such as going to school not because it's just something to do or you want to take a fun class, but the idea of going back to school to retread yourself to do something entirely different, making friends and volunteering on a regular basis, learning new technologies overall, staying engaged, seeking meaning and purpose for a lifetime. Now, let me just do some very quick math with you. You know, from zero to 21 is 8,000 days. From 21 years old to midlife crisis is about 8,000 days. And from midlife crisis to retirement age, I bet you're catching on now, 8,000 days. But here's the kicker. With the fastest growing part of the population over 85, if you make it a hair over 85, from traditional retirement age to over age 85, 8,000 days. Wow. The new opportunity is not about more games of golf and more beach walks. And if you look at retirement brochures, lots of biking. Frankly, the new opportunity is to develop new things that excite and delight for 8,000 days. Like what? Well, as I mentioned, education is one of them. Frankly, rethinking work, a whole new social contract that work may not be 40 hours a week, and it may not be the same thing you've been doing for 30 or 40 years. The fastest growing divorce rate in the world are for people over age 50. Dating is a new thing. It's not just online for kids anymore. It's for those of us over 50 as well. So social, technology, education, work, 
contribution. Instead of the old narrative, which is you've retired, which means to pull back, to withdraw, no. As a matter of society, we need to keep this population that is our greatest achievement of humankind, longer life, productive. And for them, to stay productive as well keeps them healthier and wealthier and, frankly, doing well. If you're trying to digest this and wondering what you're listening to, this is Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, who is filling in for Carol Zerniel, and we're talking with Joseph Coughlin from MIT, author of The Longevity Economy. Uh, give us a quick overview of your book. Sure. I mean, the, the book, The Longevity Economy, Unlocking the World's Fastest-Growing, Most Misunderstood bar Market, is a very fun, accessible read in my mind that really talks about the miracle of a longer life and the history of how we tell the story of old age. So, for instance, most people don't realize that the whole mythology around old age began with something called vital force, the idea that you were born with or imbued with a certain amount of energy, and if you used it up, that was what old age was all about, and you were done. And especially if you used it up doing, shall we say, things that were not uh, necessarily considered proper. But the problem is that mythology of vital force gave rise to things like, well, gee, old age going to the almshouse or the poor house or the poor home, which very quickly evolved into the nursing home, which unfortunately ends up to the funeral home. The whole mythology of what old age is has been made up. We need to write a new narrative that it basically engages us to stay much more active in the older age and also charges business with the idea of creating things for after age 60 or 65. Think for a moment. Very few parties, myths, rituals, events are planned for anyone after retirement. You may walk a daughter down the aisle. You may go to a child's birthday party but there's no longer anything for you, and yet there's 8,000 more days still ahead of you, just as it was in the other last third of your adult life or the third before that. Good. Can we just change the early bird special then? <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and in fact, you know, if you think about it, those were considered to be things that were supposed to be special for older adults. Yes. So rather than being special, let's get them excited and let's get them engaged. And by the way, you're asking about the book, who's going to be the lifestyle leader? Who's going to be the new pioneer of the old age frontier? It's going to be women. Indeed, I make the argument that the future is female. In particular, your listeners will appreciate the fact that, look, caregivers are predominantly women, particularly adult daughters between 47 and 57 years old. These women see old age at a younger age more than their male counterparts. They see both the problems, they also see the opportunities. They are the entrepreneurs. In fact, I would argue that entrepreneurship is the new women's movement, particularly in the longevity economy. It's, it's fascinating. Exciting. It's exciting. It is exciting. Yeah, it's, I mean, think about it. There's an entire industry out there that makes living longer into a crisis. It's going to blow up the health care system. We're all going to go broke. Well, if we don't change the narrative, if we don't change what we think we can do and will do, yes, there's going to be a problem. But if we change the story, if we change how we behave, if we change the nature and future of work, this is the most exciting time to be alive and to look at longer life as an opportunity, not as a crisis. And we ought to fix that healthcare system so we see it uh, as a right, not a privilege. In the past, banks wouldn't look at people who had retired. How are you looking at that now? Well, if you think about it now, given the fact that the longevity economy is not just about more older people and greater numbers, 
think about the following. The 50-plus in the United States control 70%, that is 70% of the disposable income. This is the longevity economy. And by the way, if you want to look at it worldwide, this 60-plus control would be the third largest economy in the world after the United States, China, and the 60-plus. Wow. Indeed, the financial services industry understands not only are there numbers, but there are no, there's money in those hills. Hmm. Got to stop you. <clears throat> I'm choking to death here. <clears throat> Pardon me. So what happens next? Folks want to get a hold of your book. How do they find it? Well, they can find it certainly at, uh, through my publisher, Public Affairs, but it's also on Amazon. Uh, and I also have a website uh, at longevityeconomy.com. But just do a Google on Longevity Economy and Joe Coughlin, and you'll certainly find it. Well, Dr. Coughlin, we really appreciate you coming on. This was fascinating stuff. And for, uh, for me and Peaches, who are I not old it. yet, no, we loved it. But I liked hearing the futures about me. thank you so much thanks for the work thank you so much okay well bye-bye bye-bye peaches that was good stuff that was amazing it's just it turns your head around and makes you really start thinking about those next eight thousand days wow i know you're listening to caregiver sos on air on 9 30 a.m the answer you ever wonder what you can learn from listening to well med radio hi i'm ron aaron our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well... I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. It is so nice of you to stick with us right here on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron along with Peaches Hall, who is filling in for Carol Zerniel today, having the neatest conversation with Joseph Coughlin, author of The Longevity Economy. He is the founder and director of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT Age Lab. And, uh, uh, Joe, one of the things you talk about uh, is the role of technology in the lives of people uh, 50 plus. And you're talking about more than smartphones, I assume. Oh, no, absolutely. And of course, you know, here at MIT, we're proud of saying that technology is the answer. Now, what's your question, so to speak? Uh, no, technology is definitely going to make retirement and aging and indeed caregiving far different than ever before. Uh, the technology will be very cool, and in some cases, it may feel very creepy as well. So I want you to imagine your kitchen is going to have devices that are part of what we call the Internet of Things. That is, when things begin to think and begin to talk. So your refrigerator will be able to tell what's in your refrigerator, how old it is, and maybe facilitate home delivery of the food you needed beforehand. A stove that's been left on too long automatically shutting down. 
ensuring that you ate the right things at the right time or taking your meds. Your bathroom may facilitate a whole checkup a day rather than having to do one on a computer screen or going to the doctor's office. Suddenly now, as we're doing research here in the lab and elsewhere, the house is a platform for caregiving, connectivity, and frankly, staying connected uh, with society. Staying connected how? Well, think about it. Your refrigerator is going to connect you to the grocery store. Staying connected in terms of that, uh, as I said, between cool and creepy. Your toilet, your smart toilet, will actually, shall we say, to uh, keep this uh, uh, clean. Download from the user your body weight. Did you take your medication? And then facilitate taking those data and sending it to your doctor's office, to a dietitian, whatever it might be. But there are more fun things that we've worked on as well. Imagine tele-exercise while you're at home, but you've created a whole group of social friends that are exercising with you from anywhere from Taiwan to Massachusetts and doing exercises that help you stay fit to drive or just simply fit. That's the TV commercial for Peloton, the bike that connects you via, uh, I guess, Wi-Fi to people who are riding bikes around the world. Yeah, there, there's, you know, for biking, they certainly do that, but they're also looking at more, shall we say, more crafted exercises for older adults in particular. In fact, even Alexa these days, you know, the whole new home artificial intelligence system that uh, Amazon has developed has an exercise program for seven minutes, and if you look at many of the comments, you'll find that older adults are using that exercise program as much as the young kids that you would think would, uh, it would be made for. How does that work? Does it tell you what to do? Yeah, it essentially puts you through your paces of drills of everything from stretching to exercise, jumping jacks, and, and the like. And, you know, some of the comments that I've seen are, that, you know, I wish there was something a little bit more senior-friendly and the like. And the fact of the matter is, is that technologies are now connecting you to activities that you at once thought you had to go to the gym, which a lot of people do, but even more do not. I wonder if you see what I see in the center, and most of the people that come in here say, I don't want to do it if it's not fun. Absolutely. You know, I, I love the research, uh, that well-meaning research that's out there on how to get people to change their behavior. We think about, do we pay them? Do we save money on their insurance? Do we just educate them? Well, I, you can see that, frankly, we do a lot of different things, largely because friends are involved, it's fashionable to do it, and there's fun friends to be there. So fun friends and fashion get people at all ages to do amazing things where rational money and it's good for you have been, shall we say, poor excuses to get you to do what you don't want to do. Okay, so now I want to know what are the advantages, what are the things that are the opportunities that are out there for seniors you were talking about? Well, some of the opportunities we have to think about is that business in particular needs to start creating an entirely new narrative. If the book, my book, The Longevity Economy, makes any contribution at all, what I'm hoping that people will hear is that the old narrative of old age, that it's a time to retire, a time to pull back, that mom and dad don't like new technology, needs to be retired, and frankly, in most cases, was never true to begin with. In fact, the story of old age and retirement as we live it today is only about 100 or 125 years old. The new opportunities are for business, government, and families to start rethinking one-third of your adult life, such as going to school not because it's just something to do or you want to take a fun class, but the idea of going back to school to retread yourself to do something entirely different, making friends and volunteering on a regular basis, learning new technologies overall, staying engaged, seeking meaning and purpose for a lifetime. 
Now, let me just do some very quick math with you. You know, from zero to 21 is 8,000 days. From 21 years old to midlife crisis is about 8,000 days. And from midlife crisis to retirement age, I bet you're catching on now, 8,000 days. But here's the kicker. With the fastest growing part of the population over 85, if you make it a hair over 85, from traditional retirement age to over age 85, 8,000 days. Wow. The new opportunity is not about more games of golf and more beach walks. And if you look at retirement brochures, lots of biking. Frankly, the new opportunity is to develop new things that excite and delight for 8,000 days. Like what? Well, as I mentioned, education is one of them. Frankly, rethinking work, a whole new social contract that work may not be 40 hours a week, and it may not be the same thing you've been doing for 30 or 40 years. The fastest growing divorce rate in the world are for people over age 50. Dating is a new thing. It's not just online for kids anymore. It's for those of us over 50 as well. So social, technology, education, work, contribution, Instead of the old narrative, which is you've retired, which means to pull back, to withdraw, no. As a matter of society, we need to keep this population that is our greatest achievement of humankind, longer life, productive. And for them, to stay productive as well keeps them healthier and wealthier and, frankly, doing well. If you're trying to digest this and wondering what you're listening to, this is Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with... Peaches Hall, who is filling in for Carol Zerniel, and we're talking with Joseph Coughlin from MIT, author of The Longevity Economy. Uh, give us a quick overview of your book. Sure. I mean, the, the, the book, The Longevity Economy, Unlocking the World's Fastest Growing, Most Misunderstood bar Market, is a very fun, accessible read in my mind that really talks about the miracle of a longer life and the history of how we tell the story of old age. So, for instance, most people don't realize that the whole mythology around old age began with something called vital force, the idea that you were born with or imbued with a certain amount of energy, and if you used it up, that was what old age was all about, and you were done. And especially if you used it up doing, shall we say, things that were not uh, necessarily considered proper. But the problem is that mythology of vital force gave rise to things like, well, gee, old age going to the almshouse or the poorhouse or the poor home which very quickly evolved into the nursing home, which unfortunately ends up to the funeral home. The whole mythology of what old age is has been made up. We need to write a new narrative that basically engages us to stay much more active in the older age and also charges business with the idea of creating things for after age 60 or 65. Think for a moment. Very few parties, myths, rituals, events are planned for anyone after retirement. You may walk a daughter down the aisle, you may go to a child's birthday party, but there's no longer anything for you. And yet, there's 8,000 more days still ahead of you, just as it was in the other last third of your adult life or the third before that. Good. Can we just change the early bird special then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and in fact, you know, if you think about it, those were considered to be things that were supposed to be special for older adults. So rather than being special, let's get them excited and let's get them engaged. And by the way, you're asking about the book, who's going to be the lifestyle leader? Who's going to be the new pioneer of the old age frontier? It's going to be women. Indeed, I make the argument that the future 
is female. In particular, your listeners will appreciate the fact that, look, caregivers are predominantly women, particularly adult daughters between 47 and 57 years old. These women see old age at a younger age more than their male counterparts. They see both the problems, they also see the opportunities. They are the entrepreneurs. In fact, I would argue that entrepreneurship is the new women's movement, particularly in the longevity economy. It's fascinating. It's exciting. It is exciting. Yeah, I mean, think about it. There's an entire industry out there that makes living longer into a crisis. It's going to blow up the healthcare system. We're all going to go broke. Well, if we don't change the narrative, if we don't change what we think we can do and will do, yes, there's going to be a problem. But if we change the story, if we change how we behave, if we change the nature and future of work, this is the most exciting time to be alive and to look at longer life as an opportunity, not as a crisis. And we ought to fix that healthcare system so we see it uh, as a right, not a privilege. In the past, banks wouldn't look at people who had retired. How are you looking at that now? Well, if you think about it now, given the fact that the longevity economy is not just about more older people and greater numbers, think about the following. The 50-plus in the United States control 70%, that is 70% of the disposable income. This is the longevity economy. And by the way, if you want to look at it worldwide, this 60-plus control would be the third largest economy in the world after the United States, China, and the 60-plus. Wow. Indeed, the financial services industry understands not only are there numbers, but there are, there's money in those hills. Hmm. Got to stop you. <clears throat> I'm choking to death here. <clears throat> Pardon me. So what happens next? Folks want to get a hold of your book. How do they find it? Well, they can find it certainly at, uh, through my publisher, Public Affairs, but it's also on Amazon. Uh, and I also have a website uh, at longevityeconomy.com. But just do a Google on Longevity Economy and Joe Coughlin, and you'll certainly find it. Well, Dr. Coughlin, we really appreciate you coming on. This was fascinating stuff. And for, uh, for me and Peaches, who are I not old it. yet, no, we loved it. But I liked hearing the futures about me. <laughs> thank you so much thanks for the work thank you, you so much okay Take care. well bye-bye Cheers. bye-bye peaches that was good stuff that was amazing it's just it turns your head around and makes you really start thinking about those next eight thousand days wow i know coming up next speaking of eight thousand days how about 10 take 10 with dr jamie heisman i'm ron aaron with peaches hall on caregiver sos on air on 9 30 a.m the answer Ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively. On 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Be there. 
Thank you so much for being with us on Caregiver SOS On Air. Time now for Take 10 at the end of each and every one of our Caregiver SOS On Air programs. We go to Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman, nationally known psychotherapist, expert on addictions and caregiving. We're joined by Peaches Hall filling in for Carol Zerniel today, and I'm Ron Aaron. Peaches threw out a topic that we batted around earlier in the green room, and it makes a lot of sense. And that question becomes... Peaches? You know, sometimes we see that you lose your sense of humor. Um, It's so stressful to be a caregiver, and you are drained. And at the end of your day, there's no more laughter. There's no more enjoying that. Um, You've got to get past that to really not only enjoy your life, but enjoy the person you're caring for, because there's still joy in that and and laughter. Now, you gave the example of people going to an Alzheimer's or a dementia support group. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll come in for their very first time and if somebody else is in the group and they're actually enjoying themselves or laughing about a situation and how they how they were able to overcome it or how it just looked or how they felt about it and then there was laughter in the room and people were drinking coffee and a new person might come in and say, you know, there's just nothing funny about this. This is, this is awful. Why are people laughing? And then they come back to a couple more meetings and before long they're laughing too and they're social and enjoying and they've gotten their sense of humor back because there are sometimes that the person you're caring for is, is sweet and darling and loving and they do make you laugh. Jamie, wasn't it Norman Cousins who wrote about laughter and cancer? Yes, actually is a, is a powerful, powerful uh, model of, of, of humor, if you will. I, I believe if I, in my thought process that somebody who had cancer literally was locked in a room and I think it was with Three Stooges movies a whole catalog of Three Stooges movies, and they just were in a terrible state, obviously very self-engrossed. The chronic illness does that. We don't want to ever forget that. And they were isolated, and somehow they started coming out of it simply by laughing their their heads off to the Three Stooges movies. And uh, Norman Cousins really said his best there that, you know, you've got to get out of this sort of isolated, self-engrossed place to even appreciate what healthy, if healthy humor can be there, number one, and what healthy humor is. You know, I loved it when um, when I was running Dementia Cares. We would take pictures of something that one of our, our patients was doing and send a picture to their family member, um, maybe somebody coming in helping us wash dishes from breakfast, and this person had never, this man had never helped the wife do dishes, and, and we'd send a picture and say, you know, do you recognize this? And then you could get a LOL back on the, you know, uh, on the your telephone with the picture saying, is this all it took to get him to do dishes? But, you know, to find the humor in all these things that we see, because if you can't laugh at some things, it just tears you up. I still laugh at the story that Peaches Hall shared with us not long ago, uh, Dr. Jamie, and that is a patient who really wanted to have a sexual encounter with a nurse. And Peaches, as creative as can be, what did you do, Peaches? So we asked him for his birthday. Always give everybody a birthday wish. And he said, I'd really like to sleep with a nurse. And so we called his wife and got her nurse outfit and brought her in that night. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. This is almost too much information. But what a wonderful place. Is that not the best? Yes. You know, actually, I think April is National Humor Month, I think. And so we're just coming into it. And Peaches, you just ushered it in. But 
there's a lot of ways that, that, that humor and laughter is really a great medicine for a caregiver. It, it really is. I mean, even on the medical side, they say that laughter can increase your blood flow and your heart rate. It can sometimes even mimic exercise. So there is a real medical sort of uh, positive plus to it. And also, if you can find humor, and again, I'm always saying it's a caveat because you have to do a lot, I think, like finding support, not being isolated. But humor and laughter also relaxes the body. And it can help you kind of sleep and sometimes deal with pain relief. It, it really sets off the biochemistry of the mind, the endorphins. Did, did I hear you correctly? I can sit and watch Seinfeld reruns and not do PT? <laughs> That's not <laughs> Well, not quite. Not quite, because you do need parallel paths here. And to find that humor and the PT, but it's to do the PT. It's actually literally to make sure that you are doing what's necessary in the moment to take care of yourself. Again, one will not have humor or be able to laugh unless one does have two feet on the ground and are taking care of themselves. Otherwise, it's not a laughing matter to be, you know, deteriorating as a caregiver. No, and you know, there are times that I can remember um, families would come and we'd all sit around and, and talk and have coffee and maybe watch uh, something that would be of interest of short time for somebody with dementia, but we'd all start laughing and then that person would be laughing too because it's, in, it's infectious so we'd, a room full of laughter and then maybe shortly after uh, I remember losing a, a patient and the family said I will always remember that it wasn't so long ago we all sat around and laughed that's pretty cool yeah it is very cool because it's a great memory for the person so many cultures when somebody passes and i think we've talked about this in previous shows have what's called wakes or shivas or really kind of you know rituals after somebody passes and instead of grieving they're 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 laughing and they're telling stories and they're finding out great memories we did that that's so Yes, we did that at my grandmother's funeral, and it was so amazing that we all left in such great high spirits. We remembered so much about her, and I learned so much more. You know, we all talked about the silly, crazy way she was. There's a great way. Let's face it. Yes, go ahead. Well, in the movie P.S. I Love You, there's a fabulous wake, which covers all of what we're talking about, a true Irish wake featuring, of course, a lot of beer. Amen. <laughs> of course, of course. Well, you don't need beer. You can go to books, and you can actually do what I call, and I think this is a whole show unto itself, is start writing a gratitude list, because really this is a very solemn, you know, when you can't laugh and you can't smile, you are very much in, in a negative kind of frame of mind spiraling. And so you have to find, well, beer is your way, Ron, but you can find books and sites. And write a gratitude list, because a gratitude list will try to take you out of your inner self, and it will tell you all the things, or at least show you all the things around you that you have to be grateful for. We did an exercise at, uh, at the center on that, and it was amazing. And when they came back and talked to us about it, they said, you know, we got in this habit, and for like a week I was thanking my husband or my friends or whatever it is over and over because it was just so, such a good feeling. She's Peaches Hall. He's uh, Dr. Jamie Eisman. I'm Ron Aaron. You've just joined us. This is Take 10 on Caregiver SOS on Air on 9.30 a.m. The answer. I cut you off, Jamie. Sorry. No, I, I was saying that Peaches is on the total right path here. I mean, really, to, to get humor and to be able to laugh, I, I, you got to switch, a, uh, switch a, a, a switch in your mind here. Just change it. You can consider watching some comedy movies, go look at sitcoms. Be real careful and mindful that you're not watching CNN 
Fox or uh, MSNBC and the news of the day, which will really burn you out. Look for funny videos or clippings of old shows. Like you said, Ron, I think you're on, totally on the path when you're watching Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. Well, those hold up today as well as they held up 15, 20 years ago. It's amazing. And when you think, Absolutely. And, and it's just everyday stuff. And musicals. Oh, my gosh. Musicals are a big hit. Musicals are wonderful, wonderful. And, you know, if you can set an environment of, of levity or of humor, you know how that affects your loved one you're taking care of. You know, they just want to feel safe and they want to feel trusting and they don't want to feel this, this kind of solemn, you know, aura, if you will, around you. So as you're watching and as you're getting humorful and as you're finding humor, you're literally a part of the treatment process, if you will, for your loved one because it's contagious. And to the caregiver who says, you know, Dr. Jamie, that's all well and good, but there's nothing funny here. If you were in my shoes, you wouldn't be laughing. And many do say that, and I think many have a right to say that. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I would say to them is go out, find a support group, and throw it out in the middle of the support group with people who have gone through what you've gone through and say exactly what you just said to me, Ron, and just listen. Sit back and listen and open your mind. Usually people who say that are isolated and are really within themselves. You know, my grandmother used to say, because people would always say, why, why have they given this to me? Why am I having to deal with this? And my grandmother used to say, if you put a bunch of people in a room and they all put their problems in the middle, you'd go back and pick your own out because you know how to deal with it. Interesting. Oh, we must be related. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jamie, for those who want to get a hold of you, how do they find you? Well, you can actually email me if you'd like, or go straight to my website. It's www.drjamie.com. Or, of course, you can go to any caregiver OS, and they'll be happy to give you my information. I'd love to be able to connect with anybody. We are flat out of time. Thank you so much. Especially to laugh, Ron. Especially to laugh. Go ahead. <laughs> this is Take 10. It was, this was a pretty good one. I'm Ron Aaron with Peaches Hall, Dr. Jamie Heisman. This is Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner, What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there.